welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance, and my guest today is Scott McCain. He is a Hall of Fame speaker and author of a book we're going to talk about today, Iconic, How Organizations and Leaders Attain, Sustain, and Regain the Ultimate Level of Distinction. So, Scott, thanks for joining me. John, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me, and I, I really appreciate the, the chance to bat some ideas around with you today. So I guess we better just get the definition out there. What is an iconic organization? I think that's the name of the first chapter too. But uh, but let's uh, let's let's get a baseline here. <laughs> you bet. Uh, it's kind of a funny story. I, I was doing some work with Fairmont Hotels, and I was having uh, lunch with the CEO GM of the Fairmont Scottsdale Princess. And they had gone through all the steps of my previous book, which was Create Distinction, that talked about how you stand out from your competitors in your marketplace. And he asked a question I'd never, ever thought of. He said, okay, we're distinctive. What's next? <laughs> well, I, I, I haven't gotten that far. And he jokingly said, well, next will be iconic. And it was like the light bulb went on over my head. And and what it really occurred to me is there are some businesses that are distinctive. And, and the definition of that to me is that you stand out from your competitors in your specific marketplace. Uh, but there's a higher level that we all know. And iconic means that you're so good at what you do, you transcend your own respective discipline or your own respective industry, and, and you become an example that we could all look up to and that we could all follow. And there's things that you're doing in your business that no matter what I'm doing in mine, I could learn from from how you've separated yourself from the competition. So it, to me, that's the ultimate level of distinction when you're modeled not only for how something in your specific industry should be, but but it transcends that. So you become a model of how all of us could create a better culture, a better customer experience, or better marketing, or, or whatever it might be. Well, and, w and would you say that that there are a lot of businesses out there that, and we're going to talk about the elements, I, I suppose, when we get farther in here, but would you say there are a lot of businesses out there that they're great businesses? They run great. They have great products, great services, great revenue model, but they don't necessarily have the raving fans that go along with Iconic, or I should have asked that the other way. Do, is that an element that, that really takes you to the Iconic level? Yeah, I, I, I think so. It's, it's hard to think of an Iconic business that – that their customer base is lukewarm. <laughs> you know, uh, when we think of iconic companies, yeah, the, the raving fans analogy, I think is spot on because th there's something about what they do that inspires uh, passion uh, from their customers, uh, which, which obviously the, the end result of that is repeat business and referral business, which is all critical. Yeah. And I, and I would say another element of course, is they generally are not the low price leader either. Are they? Yeah, it's hard to find an iconic business that got there by stacking them deep and selling them cheap. <laughs> you know, it's uh, uh, that that that's one of the things that I certainly learned is. But and and interestingly enough, it's it's part partly because that status has separated them from the competition and enables them to charge a premium price. Uh, you know, here recently Apple just announced the new line of of iPhones and. It'll be covered on network news, and, and that would, goodness, wouldn't we love to have that? Uh, what, one of the things I tried to do in the book is use examples other than Apple and Starbucks and Southwest and, and, and all of those, but, but it's kind of a universal example, and, and they've separated themselves to, from the competition to such a degree that we all joke about the Apple tax. I mean, there is a premium that you pay for, for what they do. 
Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that. I mean, can a small local business be iconic? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I, I think so. One, for example, one of the, the couple of the examples I use in the book uh, is a chimney sweep in Nashville that has built a multi-million dollar business that it was recently featured on CNBC in a, in a story, a series they did called Blue Collar Millionaires. And, and I looked at how he became iconic as a chimney sweep. There's a restaurant in Indianapolis, St. Elmo's, that I use as an example. And it's not just the restaurant you'd like to be if you were in that business in Indianapolis. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You you would you can learn from and and model your business after St. Elmo's because they're they're truly iconic in in that area. And, and so we can talk about some of the things that they have done to stand out, but but they are truly they've they've transcended their own industry to become just legendary in, in those local communities. So really step number one, I mean, and this is, you have to have this huge differentiator, I think. I mean, I think that's probably step number one, but is the differentiator in your opinion that, that takes somebody to the next level, not just that they do it better or that they have, you know, a funny name or, you know, something that people talk about. Is there an element where they've somehow changed the context, maybe even of their entire industry? That's a great question. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, that's part of why I've, I've really focused on the word distinction. I don't think that different is better. If I slap every customer in the face, I'm different. <laughs> right. And, and I, I think many times when we look at smaller businesses uh, and, and, and you say to them, I mean, this is one of the things that, that, that I do at a program that, that I help sponsor every year it called the ultimate business summit. We, we bring in small business people and, and okay, so what makes you different? And they say things like, uh, our logo is red, <laughs> you know, or we, we really treat our customers great. Well, like your competition isn't, you know I mean? That, that clear differentiating factor has to be something that has traction in the marketplace so to me, distinction is a higher level of that. It, it, it is something that is of value to your customers first, which is what drives the equity in your business. So, so let's talk about the cornerstones of distinction, which are a part of your iconic framework. Um, clarity, creativity, you can list the others. Yeah, communication and a customer experience focus are the the four cornerstones of distinction based on the earlier work. And, and you know, John, I, I, I bet you would find the same in, in your experience, and that is the people think they're clear and they're a long way from being clear. Yeah, that's – I mean, when I when I read those, my note just on my notes here for people that don't realize I actually do make notes for I – mean, I just don't make up these questions um, – is that uh, – I really think those are marketing strategy, aren't they? I mean, having clarity and creativity and communication, I mean, that's that's the essence of a marketing strategy, isn't it? Yeah, it, it truly is. But but I would also suggest that, you know, I think that's one of the things that good marketing, and that, that's why I'm such a fan of your work, is that, you know, the, the elements of good marketing are are certainly the elements of of good leadership. They're, they're the elements of, of building a good culture in your business. Uh, the, the, the congruency... Of, of what you market and what you execute uh, is is what establishes to me the the integrity of the business and and yeah it's 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 so true I mean we no one is loyal to a generic <laughs> you know and but yet so many times we aren't we we do that too and I get it you know my my parents had a small business and you didn't want to turn any customer away 
you, you, you want to be of service and it's coming from the right place. I mean, it's coming from, from a sincere desire to serve and a desire to succeed. But so many times we try to be all things to all people that, you know, clarity is not just being precise about what you are. It's being equally as exact about what you are not. And, and I think that's where many businesses miss the boat is they're not willing to put their flag in the ground and say, this is what we do. And this is what we do not do as well. Well, the, the way I like to kind of frame that up is that I, I know when somebody comes to me, I can instantly, I've been doing this long enough, I can instantly see I can add a lot of value very fast. Um, but I also have people that come to me and it's like, yeah, okay, I can take your money, but I'm not sure I can really help you. Um, and I think that that is a great way to look at this idea of clarity is understanding who you really can help and who you, who you can help and not just take everybody's money. Gosh, that is such an important point, John, because, you know, it, when I first started my, my speaking business, uh, I, people would say, what do you talk about? And I said, about an hour. <laughs> you know, I mean, wh- whatever you needed, I, I, I'd, I'd be there, right? Uh, time management, sure, I'll, I'll have to figure that out to write the speech. Uh, you know, I, I was a mile wide and an inch deep. And, you know, I, did I get booked? Yeah, I, I did okay but I wasn't known for anything. And it wasn't until I was willing to say, this is what I do. And, and you know what else, what else happens that I think we often overlook when you say, Oh, I'm, I'm not your best choice for that. The credibility that you gain at, at that point, because that way the prospect or customer knows that when you do say, Oh, this is what I do. Yes. That's, that's in my wheelhouse. Man, now the integrity that you have and the credibility that you have, it, it just grows exponentially when you're willing to say that you're not the right fit for other things. Well, um, I usually say I'm not the right fit unless you're willing to pay this much, um, and then I might be. Do, does that does that kind of not pass the integrity test? You know? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if, if somebody asks me for heart surgery, I don't care how much they're willing to pay. I'm probably not the right choice, right? Uh, but I mean, there, there is an element though to it as well that they admire your insight and they're, they want you to stretch and you know, if they make it worth your while, then, then it's, it's good to do that. But at, at, at the end of the day, it's that core, it's that essence that people want. And if you're not clear about what that is, then, then how in the world are going to be attracted to you to begin with years ago, the late great Jim Rohn. It used to say that success is something you attract, not something you pursue, but, but the kind of person that you become. And I thought, you know, there's a business corollary to that. And, and I believe the customers that we attract are, are going to be more valuable to our businesses over the long haul than the customers we've had to pursue. Right? I mean, if and, and so how do they get attracted to us? They're, they're not attracted to... You know, generics, wondering generalities, you know, they're attracted because there's something that you do that you're the go-to business or you're the go-to person. And if you're not willing to be clear about that, I, I, I don't know how you get attracted. And now a word from a sponsor. There's no room for idle chat in business. So if email is your only moneymaker, make room for something new. Intercom. Intercom is the only business messenger that starts with real-time chat, then keeps growing your business with conversational bots and guided product tours. Take Intercom customer, Unity. In just 12 months, they converted 45% more visitors through Intercom's messenger. Make room for a new revenue channel. Go to intercom.com slash 
podcast. That's intercom.com slash podcast. So let's dig into a couple of the specifics because you just teed this one up. Uh, one of the things I know you talk about as a factor in uh, iconic performance is that you need to stop selling. So I'm sure a lot of listeners would say, wait a minute, <laughs> how am I going to survive if I stop selling? So how does that work in making us distinct? Well, you know, it, it occurred to me and, and, and our mutual friend Scott Stratton with his book Unselling uh, was, was one of the inspirations uh, uh, of this. And one of the things that, that I've realized, and that's, that's where the attraction factor comes into play, is that, you know, Apple isn't out there all the time. And I'm, I'm using that because that's an example that everybody realizes, but it's true with the chimney sweep and it's true with St. Elmo's. I mean, uh, they're not out there all the time pushing you uh, to sell. Uh, it, it, it struck me that words have meaning, right? And, and if you have a personal tragedy, you seek closure, Yet, isn't it interesting that we use that as the final step in selling? <laughs> you know, it, 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 so much of this, and 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 John, you you pointed this out before. You know, we we've moved from a transactional economy to a subscription economy. We we want people to subscribe and be ongoing and repeat and refer. Yet, we're still using the old selling model of transactions. Certainly, we want to conclude uh, deals to, to get the process going or to keep the process moving. But we have to, we have to change our thinking. We have to think about how do, how do we gain relationships? How do we develop subscriptions as opposed to the old saw of, you know, let's close the deal. I, I, years ago when I first started doing this, I, I, I did sales training for a company. And, and one of the, one of the lines that we had a, you know, an overhead that we used on the projector and it said, service is the first step for the next sale. And people wrote that down and that was assumed to be true. And, and now I think, gosh, that's a lie. I mean, service is a part of prospecting. It's, it's, it's an integral part of the first sale. If, if you can't take care of me from the beginning, as a, as a prospect, why would I trust that you'll take care of me as a customer? So when we get into this mode of looking at long-term value and building ongoing relationships and thinking subscription rather than transaction, that's what I mean by stop selling. I, I realize, hey, I've, I've got to book things for my business to survive, for any business to survive. But how we approach that and, and the mindset we have about that, I think is critically important to, to our future and our success. Okay. I'll give you another one to <clears throat> tee up. You, <clears throat> excuse me. Use a couple examples um, where you cite the factor as being going negative. Again, another pretty counterintuitive thought. <laughs> and, uh, John, I have to be, I, and I try to be a positive person. And, and when I was doing the research for the book, it just kept coming up over and over again and it was like, uh, you know, I, I, I had to change my thinking. But what I realized is this, the iconic businesses are obsessed with finding out negative information. Um, the, the, one of the things I uncovered was a, a study done at uh, Texas A&M University on SWOT analysis. And we all know the old strength of the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And in many organizations, how those have become beyond useless because managers view people that bring negative information as being negative employees. Uh, there was one uh, to, to, to your 
uh, field in your specialty, there was one part of the study at Texas A&M that uh, a, a company recognized they had poor brand image and they put that as an opportunity <laughs> because we can change it. It's an opportunity. No, it's a weakness. If your brand image is poor, you have to say, here's an area where we are weak, but their inability to view a problem as a problem and to view it negative. See what happens with so many organizations, a customer has a problem. Something has gone wrong. And the knee jerk reaction is let's make that customer happy. Let's we'll discount this, or we'll put so many miles on your frequent flyer account or we'll do. And we placate the customer, but they refuse to go negative enough to figure out where in the process is something messed up that created this negative experience for the customer in the first place. And, and iconic companies are obsessed with, you know, where is the problem? What could go wrong so that they can prevent that? It, it's almost a positive negativity, <laughs> right? But Well, and to, and to flip that as sort of a um, competitive thing, one of the things we do all the time is we will look at the reviews of competitors that we're working with, or so a business we're working with, their competitors, and those become opportunities. If, the, if a competitor is constantly getting – negative reviews about some aspect of their business, um, we solve that problem or we look to solve that problem. And sometimes I, you know, that's another way to look at negatives. And, uh, t- totally. And gosh, we've never had as much access to what customers think about us as we do today. Yeah, like YouTube channels dedicated to our businesses. Absolutely. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. And, but yet I, I see some organizations that, you know, uh, I, I'll ask the CEO or the company owner, well, when was the last time you looked at your Yelp reviews? Well, somebody else does that. Really? I, I, I don't get that. I mean, I, to me that one this kind of off topic, but uh, it, it's still the same. I think one of the saddest television programs on today is undercover boss because the boss is so blissfully unaware of what's happening on the front lines. I mean, every show is the same. The boss discovers, oh my goodness, I had no idea that my customers were facing this. I had no idea my employees were were doing that. Really? If we don't know what's happening on the front lines, I don't care how big your business is. If you don't know what's happening with customers on the front line, how in the world do you, do you create the kinds of experiences that those customers want to repeat? So in probably general terms, maybe you'll be specific. I don't know. But what... If, if somebody said, Scott, what does an iconic business look like? Could you, I mean, are there elements that are common that, you know, that come all the way through, you know, everything they do with their customers, with their people, with their leadership? I mean, are there, are there a set of things that you would look to, to try to measure an iconic company? You know, uh, yeah, great question. I, for one thing, I would look at what, uh, you know, what's your percentage of customer retention? Are you retaining customers? You know, growth for any business is the combination of both acquisition and retention. But yet people say they want to grow their business. So they, they, they put all the effort into going out and getting new customers. And, and we've seen so many businesses, John, you and I, that, that they, once they get you in the tent, they, they can't keep you in. So they've got to go out and they've got to do these huge acquisition programs to keep people in the funnel because they're losing so many out the back door. Well, close the back door is, is, is the first step. So what is your level of, of customer retention? Uh, what is the level of referral? Uh, part of what I talk about in the book is uh, some, some problems I have with the, you know, would you refer us to your friends question? Uh, 
good question, maybe not the best question, but but are your current customers, is the experience that they have with you compelling enough that not only they repeat their business, but they're willing to tell others about it? That then drives us into iconic organizations exceed uh, not only industry standard, they exceed the, the in any industry in terms of employee retention and employee engagement. Because you can't create that level of customer experience without engaged employees. Quick example, uh, St. Elmo's in Indianapolis, it's a restaurant. That's an industry known for incredible turnover. They have practically zero turnover at that restaurant. So how does that happen? Well, they create an incredible culture for their organization. Every waiter has a business card. Waiters are incentivized in terms of repeat dining from, from customers. Uh, at every year, they have a program where the waiters get a bottle of wine, the vintage of which is the year that they started to work for the, the company. And, and one of the joking things that uh, Steve Hughes, the, the CEO, uh, mentioned to me, Steve and, and Craig Hughes that, that runs St. Elmo's, is that it, 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 it's getting to be a hell of an expense right now when you got a guy that came to work in 97 you know, <laughs> and given him his annual bottle of wine. But but they, they look at it as how do we engage with you? How do we make it a career? Um, how do we help those of you with families to get off on the days that you want with your kids and how do we incentivize, you know, single people who aren't necessarily doing that to work and to help all of the things that takes to create this incredible culture then gets transmitted to their customers. And, you know, my buddy, Dr. Michael LaBeouf wrote a book many years ago called greatest management principle. And, and simply it was behavior rewarded is behavior repeated, but yet we don't think often enough about what we reward. And so incentivizing waiters, not just in terms of tips, you know, how did I do this performance, but in terms of, you know, are, are people coming back and are they asking for you? You give them your card so that when they call to make a reservation, they want to sit at John's table or at Scott's table. Those kinds of things make an incredible difference. Now, to me, that's not just good restaurant management. That's great leadership. That's, that's how I'm defining iconic is what organization couldn't be better served by doing those kinds of things? Yeah, and I love that example too because, you know, as you mentioned, that's a that's an industry that, you know, doesn't often treat its employees as professionals. And and so to to really kind of bring that level, um, you know, and you see examples of it all the time, but you but unfortunately, you know, ninety percent of the time you see bad examples of it. So so I'm visiting with Scott McCain. He's the author of Iconics. So Scott, tell uh, tell folks where they might find uh, obviously the books available everywhere, but uh, where they might find out more about you and your work and and even the the uh, the courses and programs that you have around it. Oh, I, I appreciate that, John. I, I I too have a podcast. It's called Project Distinct. And it's available everywhere podcasts are. And John, I'm, I'm looking at your guest hosting for me, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So thank you for, for doing that. Uh, so the, the podcast is there. My website is just scottmccain.com. By the way, it's M-C-K-A-I-N, a little different spelling than you might think. And then uh, we, we also have a site called Distinction Nation. And there I've provided free resources. It's kind of an entry-level place if people are interested in this. There's free workbooks, uh, free eBooks, even a free audio program uh, that they can download that, that is kind of the entry-level into what does it take to create distinction and, and separate yourself in the marketplace. 
Well, thanks so much, Scott, for uh, for dropping by. And if you know if this whole speaking and authoring and consulting thing doesn't work out, you could probably have a um, a career in radio. <laughs> <laughs>